Welcome to the podcast series on sexual health for seniors with Dr. Sue and Fran Carl. This podcast series is based on conversations with seniors about sexual health, sexual desire and related matters that were generated through research conducted with QUT. In this session, we will be discussing Hilary and her experience of sexual desire in older age. Welcome, Fran. Thank you, Dr. Sue. As you were reading her experience of sexual desire in older age, I think in the minds of many people, and as we say again and again, we can't generalise, but I think we could hazard a guess in saying that the words sexual desire and older age don't generally go in the same sentence. No, they don't. <laughs> Not Once commonly. you get to a certain age, <laughs> apparently your bits die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. So so in my weird mind, that sort of came up. And I think that's very important that we continue that conversation. And as we've been saying, that sexual desire and sexual health is one aspect of ageing that isn't well spoken about at all. No. And I think there's also a common perception that if you're talking about sexuality, then you're automatically talking about intercourse. And I think that's what we're finding through the research and our discussions is there's so much more about the intimacy and the hand-holding, the communication that are a real part of sexuality and ageing as well. It's not just the actual act of intercourse, is it, at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, Fran, let's introduce Hilary, the focus of this week's week's podcast in the Sexual Health for Seniors series. This is part one of Hilary's story. Hilary was a 73-year-old lady of average height and stocky build. She had a ruddy complexion, cropped fair hair and an unsteady gait, the legacy of an arthritic condition. Hillary had divorced many years ago and lived alone in a ground floor unit. Hillary preferred to maintain her independence and had lived alone since raising her children as a divorced single parent. She led a very busy life and was engaged in a number of social activities. Hillary maintained contact with her children and grandchildren who all lived within reasonable distance. Over the years, there had been three significant sexual relationships in Hillary's life. The first two relationships were short-lived, only lasting for a few years. Hillary's most recent relationship endured for 10 years before ending acrimoniously in the previous year. This relationship will be further explored in part two of Hillary's story. In the meantime, we will continue with part one. Thanks, Fran. In the break here, do you think a lot of women in the 60s, 70s had to conform to the social norms of staying within a marriage, do you think? Oh, yes. Mm. Even the most liberated of us, I guess, from the time of marriage, the idea was that it was meant to be for life. And considering anything outside that fairly rigid, I guess, that Mm. rigid structure wasn't even considered. No, Mm. no. Mm. All right, we'll get back to Hillary and find out more. (laughs) Hillary recalled her first meeting with her husband, from whom she later divorced. She was 17 years of age. We met at a dance outside Town Hall. I was in there dancing and somebody came in and tapped me on the shoulder and said, my brother wants to meet you. He was standing in the doorway. He wouldn't come in and bloody dance. He might have been a bit shy. I don't know. But he walked me down to the bus and put me on the bus and said, would you come to the pictures with me? He was the first steady boyfriend I had, I suppose. A romance bloomed. Although social life was constrained for Hillary and her peers, parental restrictions were generally unchallenged. When we went to school, we weren't allowed to wear makeup. We weren't allowed to go out to dances and we weren't allowed to go to the pictures at night. You went on Saturday afternoon and you weren't allowed to go out at night and you didn't. 
Again, another part of the social mores, do you think? Oh, yes. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, I don't know whether I'm a peer of Hillary specifically in terms of age, but I'd, once I got my own car, <laughs> there wasn't really, I suppose, not that I had a bad relationship with my mum, but the idea of being allowed to, certainly in high school, mum mm. had a lot more control and, and so she should, I guess. Yeah. But after that, I was in the position to be able to have a brother who helped me get a loan for a car and things like that. So I had a lot more independence, I guess. Yeah. And there were a lot of people climbing into my car. <laughs> so yes. they were developing their own independence as well, I guess. So not being allowed to, that sort of jumped out to me. That yes. Not being allowed to. And absolutely, as you've said, that was the structures at the time mm. that girls were expected to be home and not and to do, do what they were told to do what they were told mm. oh boy <laughs> it didn't stop a lot of teenage pregnancies though you, did you it? Bet. <laughs> and in a later episode we might have a look at the comparison of the stats uh, yes. then and now in oh. terms of unmarried pregnancies sure yeah. yeah so in addition to social restrictions as we've just mentioned sex education was almost non-existent my husband was the first and i was 17 and a half and no condoms he didn't use any precautions then you didn't know about it. Oh, no. It was coitus interruptus. What was unusual with my parents, my mother a lot more than other people, especially dad, but yeah, she did give me a lot more knowledge. You had to go into a chemist to buy things in those days and for the fellas to go and blink and well buy them. It was so embarrassing. But it was pretty much the norm in Australia, especially in small places. But at the end of the day, I got pregnant. Although she was still in her teens, Hillary was determined to marry. On later reflection, Hillary considered that marrying while pregnant was more common amongst her peer group than amongst today's teenage generation. I was 19 when I was married and 20 when I had my first child. That's not unusual. It was very common. It's different these days. Hillary's family were supportive of her predicament and ensured that she didn't feel pressured into the marriage. Hillary was aware of the responsibilities. Dad said, you don't have to get married. You can live at home and we'll help you rear the child. But I wanted to get married. I said, no, Dad, you're not going to do this because this is my responsibility. And not only that, but my child is also going to have a name. That was very important. No, I was going to make him take responsibility. And his family said, you can come and live here and we will stand by you and won't interfere in your business. The marriage was soon under stress. Hillary's husband was often verbally abusive when fueled by alcohol. Hillary experienced a mental breakdown. I'm a very bright and intelligent woman. But I had a breakdown. I had a mental breakdown. Hillary spent a couple of months in an institution at the time. Years later, she was diagnosed with a mild bipolar disorder. Hillary claimed that she was misdiagnosed at the time of her breakdown and should never have been institutionalised. Henceforth, Hillary sought counselling whenever she needed psychological support. She was determined to maintain control of her mental health and avoid a relapse. These days there's a lot of mental health around or yes. we hear about it a lot more. Mm. But in mm. those days it would have been quite unusual for a young mother to go into a mental institution, I would have thought. What I think, think so, absolutely. Mm. Admitting that you weren't coping was yeah. one thing and then mm. saying, yes, I need further help, that wouldn't have been common at all. No. Enormous stigma of saying, well, you're not a very good mother because you're not coping. You're no. not a very good person. But she was in an abusive and alcohol fueled relationship. And it makes you wonder that connection from not being able to get out easily, get out yes. of an abusive relationship. Mm. Probably that is what led to the mental health aspect for her. For sure. Uh, yeah. It's a shame that there weren't options for women. Absolutely. And aren't we very lucky now 
that the opportunity for mental health support is so much more prevalent than it was then. Yes. We're so lucky. But as you've said, it is an absolute pity that at the time when people like Hillary needed it, it wasn't the done thing. No, it no. It wasn't normal. <laughs> That's isn't right. it? We're returning to what is normal, yes. isn't it? And obviously normal changes. <laughs> yes, it does. That's right. When Hillary was heavily pregnant with their third child, her husband arrived home late one night and announced that he was leaving. Hillary subsequently learned that he had taken out a second mortgage on the home and was engaged in a relationship with another woman. He left two weeks before my third child was born. It was shocking. I didn't know that he was actually going to leave. Mind you, I've had a few more other kinds of stress. He was drinking and one day he came home two, three, four in the morning and woke us all up. He had a suitcase in the bedroom and said, I'm leaving. I just had a pillow on my bed and hugged it and I was overcome that I had no money. I caught him before that with my purse one day, taking the last $20 on a Friday to go to the pub to drink. It was the last $20 that I had to go and buy some food. He called me a stingy bitch, but he was spending time with someone else down the back of our street. And I said to him, what's going to happen to us? And really, really, I found it really difficult to believe. I had no banking account of my own. The house was in his name and he could have sold it at any time. And me and the kids would have had nowhere to live. Absolutely nowhere, you know. Mine is a pretty common story, I think, truly. Not that unusual. Once again, the family was supportive and offered assistance. My wonderful parents and even my mother-in-law were very good to me. She was tremendous, even in those years. Hillary's husband attempted to reunite with Hillary a year later. He tried to come back. Three times he tried to come back. I said, no way, because I got a good night's sleep and I didn't have him coming home waking me up, stinking of grog at one, two, three in the morning and wondering what was going on and so forth. I mean, we were making excuses and even defending him then. But after he left, I was just indifferent to him. There was no going back for Hillary. Life had moved on and Hillary had discovered that single parenthood was preferable to an unhappy life. Hillary was independent and sought work as soon as she could. Without any means of support and with no qualifications, the only work available was menial, task-oriented employment which Hillary accepted. In the process of gaining employment, Hillary was subjected to discrimination. I got a job. What I thought was you get a job and you work. I didn't know. I've never applied for unemployment benefit, none of that. I went to the Commonwealth Employment Service and this was a man and he said, look at you, what sort of job do you think you can do? I'm not kidding you. I can still remember it. And I said, well, I need a job. I've got to have a job. I've got children and no money. I've got to keep a roof over their heads. He said, about all you could do is be a tea lady, the cheek. He said, take this chit and go to this office. And that's where I got a job. I was a tea lady for several years. During that time, Hillary's family became concerned about her financial security. My father said, you go down the road and make an appointment at the courthouse. They will send you to a solicitor. You get a divorce and you get that house put in your name because you're vulnerable, because he could sell that house. He's up the coast with some other woman or whatever he is doing. You've got no money and you'll have nowhere for you and the children. He said, you could come and live with mum and I, but it's not right. So I did that and they sent me to the Supreme Court and I got my divorce under the old law, but I had to pay $100 for the conveyancing to have the house put in my name. And then in due course, the divorce judge said, my dear, I don't want to do this to you, but I have to ask you to give an undertaking that you will pay off these two mortgages so that I can put the house in your name and you and your children can have a home. 
His family helped me. They were good to me. So that was $50 a month at one bank and $30 a month at the other, and I didn't own that house for over 10 years. It was an absolute struggle. When she wasn't working, Hilary devoted herself to her children. For 18 months, I didn't even go out, go anywhere. I was going to work anyway. I wanted to keep the kids together. I was just so busy working as a tea lady and with the kids and not much money. I just wanted to get a good night's sleep and just having some harmony and some peace and quiet. So, Fran, yes. So, Hilary ended up being on her own and it was hard. It was a hard road for her to Mm. travel, but she was coping very well by the sound of it, wasn't she? Once again, the sentence that came out of being a single parenthood was preferable to having yeah. an unhappy life yes, or unhappy definitely. marriage, whatever the, the actual word yeah. was. And I know from my own experience that's a very difficult decision and a, a step to take yeah. where single parenthood is really, really hard. It was. Really, really hard mm-hmm. and very hard for Hillary and I know there's plenty of single parents out there along with me. Mm-hmm. It is tough and it is a big decision and particularly when from the beginning she wanted to be married, she wanted her first child to have a name, and but that abusive environment, once again, she stepped outside what was normal, I guess, yes. for her generation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And wasn't she fortunate to have that family support? Oh, I yes. mean, when you think about it, mm. all the women in that situation who may not have had that family support. That's right. Even then, though, she didn't lean on that family support, but mm. knowing it was there mm. is a quite separate issue, isn't it? Particularly with unmarried mothers at that time, the whole social environment around that was a sense of shame, et cetera, and she stepped through that. Absolutely. And then the parents said, no, we will help you. So mm. that's a, a really dynamic mm. uh, approach within that family and I don't think that was normal either no, at the time. No, that's right. I think the face that you had to show to the world and that pride. I know of a family where the mother was too proud. They were struggling. She mm-hmm. was on her own. Yes. And were too proud to ask for help. And it was only when the neighbours noticed children were hungry or were not being fed mm. that they contacted a charity and a charity came in with food. But mm. it was that pride that stood in the way of that. Mm. And I think that was part of those social norms at that time as well, don't yes. you think? Oh, I agree, 100%. Mm, Being a good mother and a good person and all of those things. So at the expense of any kind of relationship, Hillary devoted her life to her children. During that time, you wonder whether the children were, in hindsight or in their adult years, whether they would have appreciated what she went through. I mean, we'll never know We'll never know, but we'd hope so, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's right. For sure. Mm. So in summary... Hillary had survived a difficult time and had come through several struggles to finally achieve some measure of peace, although she had little time for herself. However, she was doing what she considered was right for herself and her children at that time. That's right. Thanks, Fran. You've been listening to Dr. Sue and Fran Carl, and we've been talking about sexual desire in older age. In this case, it was about suppression, if you like, of sexual desire while reprioritization of what was important to a person's life at the time. The focus this week was on part one of an interview with Hillary and her experience of sexual desire as an older woman, which, of course, as we just revealed, she wasn't actually experiencing. Well, we don't know we whether don't she know. was experiencing any sexual desire, <laughs> but she certainly wasn't living a life of uh, sexual activity. We'll continue with Hillary's story in the next session of our series on sexual health for seniors in our next podcast. <laughs>